0: Thank you, Pastor Joe. Can you hear me clearly? It's good to be back. The last time I was here preaching was, I think it was the beginning of the year. So it's really a great honour to be here. Um, Allow me to pray uh, for myself. (laughs) Heavenly Father, grant me um, the filling of your Spirit to speak your truth boldly and faithfully that your people might see beyond the channel and recognise your word speaking to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, if there's a lot of things that I would like to share, but if you forget all of them, there is one thing I would like you to remember. It is the Lord your God reveals Himself to you so that you may fear Him and not sin. It's a bit long, but allow me to say it again. The Lord your God reveals Himself to you so that you may fear Him and not sin. Our passage today urges us to discover who the Lord is and how as His people, we are to obey and do what He said. Now, during my national service, I sign on as a regular during my, NS, uh, during my basic training. And um, one of the peaks of being a regular in the army is that you get to do confidence course an additional course in helping you to develop further as an officer, uh, to build your confidence and uh, leadership skills. So there were a few that I could choose, and so I decided to choose airborne. Airborne means that you learn how to jump out of a fully functioning plane, moving it pretty fast with a parachute. So after, intense tra- after a few weeks of intense training, um, we were prepared for our first jump. And I must tell you that I was a little bit afraid. I haven't felt fear for quite a while. And so, even though it was safe and the safety record was perfect, um, jumping out of a thousand feet still was quite scary. Now, the instructors, they all know all the newbies will be very scared. And so, to help us not feel afraid, the instructors did something that will make all men, I mean all men, shake their fears away and give them the reason and ability to face danger in the face and to do something courageous. Can you guess what they did? Well, what they did is they gathered all the female regulars to do the first jump, while all the male officers looked at them in shock and embarrassment. Now, when we saw all the women uh, officers and and, uh, uh, NCOs all jumped out already of the plane, we realized that we're both we have to do it also, you know. Because of shame and embarrassment, you know, for fear of shame and embarrassment, we would do that too Also, so. And so we also went out and jumped out itself. And so that kind of motivated all of men there. And I might say that I've never experienced such a victory of a greater fear over a smaller fear. Well, you'll see that this, this is the kind of fear that causes you to be frozen, to be weak. But there's another kind of fear that can cause you to do greater things than you could imagine. There's also a kind of fear that drives you away from a person or something because you sense danger and threat. But there is also another kind of fear that draws you to that person because of the relationship. This morning, our text from Exodus 20 is seeking to teach us about who God is and how this revealed knowledge of God is meant to help us to cultivate a healthy Fear of him, so that we as his people will not sin against him. Now there are two ways in which how God revealed himself. In verse 2, in fact, in verse 1 and 2, he reveals himself by what he says and what he has done. And then we will move to the next part of how he reveals himself through the Ten Commandments. So the first one is. Verse 1 of chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, the people of Israel have never met God before. All they had was 400 years of experience of living in Egypt, which also meant that they were exposed to the Egyptian religious system exposed to the idols and saw how they were worshipped, revered and served. Everything they saw was totally opposite of what God was going to reveal to them. So for Israel, they didn't know who God is other than the stories that they have heard about how this God led Abraham out of the land, blessed him, blessed Isaac, blessed Jacob and then brought them to Egypt. But now they were under enslavement. So that's the limited knowledge that people had. And so God had to reveal himself and tell the people personally, directly who he is. Not only that, God was going to prepare the people in going to the promised land as was promised to Abraham. So there were two things in which how God was going to reveal himself. One was by what he says and by what he has done for them. Now, in all relationships, communication is key. For relationships to grow, to thrive, to flourish, people need to, communi- need to communicate. This is a particular quote that I like. It says, Don't assume your partner knows about everything about you. Uh, everything you expect in a relationship. Sorry, let me repeat that again. Don't assume your partner knows everything you expect in a relationship. Let him or her know a relationship is based on communication, not assumption. A relationship is based on communication and not assumption. And so this is something, a very simple truth, but a very vital truth that I teach all the couples that I do, help to do the NPR, Marriage Preparation Retreat, that communication is so important, you need to keep the channels open. There is no subject that you cannot talk about. You must always be talking to each other. And so here we see that God Himself initiates the relationship, and what does He do? He talks to them. Verse 1, and God spoke all these words. Now can you imagine that God's speaking to them? And why is He speaking to them? Because in communicating to them, He wants to express His desire of building a personal, direct relationship with them. And so God speaks to them. He speaks to them with all these words. He wants to tell them everything about Himself to them. Now, you can never know a person deeply and intimately unless the person opens up and reveals himself or herself to you. So let's say even if I manage to know everything I can know about you, possibly on uh, social media about you, I read your Facebook, I read all your Instagram. And I will kind of glean certain facts like your birthday, who are your friends, which school you went to, maybe even the work that you do. And maybe through the pictures and through your captions, I try to do a good guesswork of what are you like. And I might be right in some ways, but yet I can never be certain exactly who you are. And so at the end of the day, even my greatest uh, detective work, it will still be very superficial and it will definitely not be a relationship. Maybe borderline stalking, but definitely not a relationship. And that is until I'm with the person, and the person willingly reveals him or her part to me. And so that's exactly what you will do too. Not stalking, but revealing yourself to a person in the intimate level that you are comfortable with. And can you imagine? God knows everything about the people of Israel. But the people of Israel do not know everything about God. And so this is God's attempt to reveal Himself. He speaks to them. He tells them who He is directly from Him. And then He tells them. Not only that, what does God reveal about Himself here? There are two things at least. One is that God reveals His name. Verse 2, I am the Lord your God I am the Lord your God now in most of our English translation we see the word Lord and L O R D and we don't really take much consideration that it's just the word Lord because many times we see in New Testament the Jesus Christ Lord 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 is a, a very respectful and appropriate way to address God address the Lord but actually in the original Hebrew text this is not the word Lord it is actually another way. It's a spelling that we call, uh, that we in four letters, Y-H-W-H in Hebrew. Now, nobody actually knows how it is meant to be pronounced. In fact, because the Jews revered this name so much that they kind of eradicated the way how it was meant to be pronounced. Nowadays, people pronounce it as Yahweh, but we still are not too sure. But what is amazing is that God reveals His name. You know, you normally wouldn't tell people your name so openly and easily, in a sense. Unless, of course, it's an occasion that the person introduce himself, then you introduce your name. In fact, when you have a name on your tag, on your clothes, when you go out of the function or the activity, you know, you clearly want to take it out. You don't want to carry it. Let people know your name is on you. Names are very personal. And here, God is revealing himself to his people. The last time he revealed his name was to Abraham in Genesis. 15 verse 7. And so, here with his people, he's going to review I am the Lord. This is my name. You get to call me by my name. Nobody else in this world can call me by my name except you because you are my people. We are in a relationship. And the second thing that God tells the people is I am your God. I am your God. There may be many other gods that you have seen and witnessed in Egypt, but I am your God. There is no other God that belongs to you. As much as you are exclusively mine, I am exclusively yours too. And so just by the first two verses, the first two parts, God is really revealing so much about himself to the people because they have never had God as their own God. The second thing in which how God reveals other by revealing what He has said, it it is by now what He has done. Verse 2, the second part, Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The second way by which God reveals and teaches about Himself to His people is by defining what He has done for them. What He has done for them. And He reminds them what they have witnessed is all Him. Now, I have uh, uh, two sons, Callum and Cohen. Callum is six years old. Cohen is four years old. And Callum, once in a while, will come to me, you know, offshoot, and then he'll just ask me, Daddy, do you love me? Okay? He knows the answer to the question. One of the reasons why he likes to ask because he just wants to be reminded that I love him and want to hear that I love him. I say, yes, I love you. And then I'll begin to tell him I love him and how do I show that I love him, you know? For, so for a six-year-old boy, you know, I bring you out to this, mommy and daddy bring you here, bring you to your favorite food, uh, buy, you, buy you toys, spend time with you. So I tell him what I have done for him so that he will know that I love him. That my love for him is not just expressed by uh, a proclamation but a demonstration itself and so can you see how god is saying that i am your god this is my name and this is what i have done for you in the past now the key word here in verse 2 is the word brought you out which is actually a single word the word brought you out gives the idea of deliverance that something that god has done for them that they could not do for themselves and it is god who delivered them out of egypt and out of the house of slavery and no other god has done that for them no other one the one who delivered them from egypt and the house of slavery is the lord their god so why mention land of egypt and house of slavery why because it is to remind them what they witnessed the power the absolute power and might and glory of god when he defeated all the egyptian gods and idols and how he humiliated pharaoh And more than that, how he saved the people from Pharaoh's army through the crossing of the Red Sea and destroyed and defeated Pharaoh's army by the closing of the Red Sea. This is all done by the Lord their God. This is what he has done for them. And so now he identifies himself. It is I. It was I who did it. Nobody else but me. Now the mention of house of slavery is because it is to remind them who they were before the Lord delivered them. They were slaves. For a large part of the 400 years that they were in Egypt, they were slaves, oppressed and suffering. In fact, if you recall in Exodus, it was under the context of such severe oppression and suffering that they cried out to God for help. And so as slaves, they had no freedom of their own and they had to do all that Egypt commanded them and all the benefit was for Egypt. And so this was who they were and nobody else could deliver them out except the Lord their God. So the Lord God, by defining Himself, what He has done for them, was revealing important and personal truth and knowledge of Himself to the people so that they will know this is their Lord and God. Now quickly, the next part is how God reveals Himself through the Ten Commandments. Now I must say that in Exodus 20, Sorry. I spoke you so dry in Exodus 20 many of our Bibles actually um, have a a, a a heading called Ten Commandments actually the Ten Commandments was not recognized as the Ten Commandments actually until later in Exodus chapter 34 verse 28 retrospectively on hindsight so how should we see actually Exodus 20 actually Exodus 20, it's not so much about our Ten Commandments, but how God is revealing himself to them. And it was later on when the other laws began to be expressed and introduced that Moses, as looking back, codified it as the Ten Commandments itself. So here, actually, what God is doing is that he's revealing who he is and what he expects of his people. Now, even though it might be even though some of us might know, but I think it is important to state that the keeping of the Ten Commandments is not so that the people can become His people and enter into a relationship with Him. It can't be. Rather, it is before the Lord spoke about the Ten Commandments or in this section in chapter 20, they were already His people. They really belonged to Him. He was already their God. This was the God of grace in action. His grace being seen, even though not explicitly said as grace, but it is His grace. So what the Ten Commandments function here is to represent how these people who belong to God ought to learn how to continue in this covenant relationship and how to relate to Him directly and indirectly as to relate to their neighbors. So the Ten Commandments are a reflection of who God is and what his will is for His people. And even though the people are still at an infancy stage that they still do not know a lot, the Ten Commandments standards are still high. It cannot be lowered down for them, but it is to show how holy and awesome God is. So what I'm going to do next is I'm going to show what each commandment reveals about who God is. Who God is. And it is not exhaustive, but I want to show it to you. And so there are 10 commandments. I'm going to show 11 characteristics of who God is. The first one is, You shall have no gods before me. This is the exclusiveness of God. The Lord is their only God. To be in a relationship with God, it means to be in an exclusive relationship with Him. You cannot have any other gods. It would be considered unfaithful. Just as today in all marriages, It is a covenant relationship between a husband and a wife. Two, no third party. The moment there's a third party involved in the marriage that ceases to be a marriage, there will be unfaithfulness. So there is exclusiveness in being in a relationship with God. Second one, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You, okay? This is the supremacy of God. God cannot be made in any shape or form. God cannot be controlled or manipulated or bargained with, as very likely seen by the Jews when they observed the Egyptians. If we create an image of God, it means that we are the Creator and that we are making Him in our own image or an image that we think it is to be. But it is God who created us and delivered us. So they can only worship Him. They cannot create Him. Not only that, the Lord says, You shall not bow down to serve, uh, bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is the jealousy of God. Now, because they are in an exclusive relationship with God, if they worship and serve other gods, the Lord will respond strongly. And the word that is, reflects a strong, strong response is the word jealousy. Now, this word jealousy is not meant to be seen in a negative connotation or emotion, but rather it reflects a very positive, intense passion and emotion of God. Because when He sees His people doing something unfaithful, He responds, just as it is absolutely reasonable, and acceptable for all of us here, that if we see a husband feeling jealous if a wife is behaving intimately with another man, or for the wife to feel jealous when she sees her husband behaving intimately with another woman, it is expected. In fact, if they don't respond in jealousy, I think it reflects a greater detriment in their relationship. But because the relationship means so much to the party, the person cannot but feel jealousy. So the Lord uses this human expression to show that God cannot accept and um, His own people worshiping other gods. The third one is the reverence of God. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who makes who takes His name in vain. The name of God is not to be misused. Just as He revealed His name Yahweh, it was a very precious and sacred. So much so that the Jews. Hit this name and covered it with another name like Adonai. They didn't want people to use his name and is lost forever today. But the idea here is do not misuse God's name. God's name is special and it is a personal revelation of who he is to his people. And so the people are to hold it in reverence, in high regard, because all things that belong to God are to be held in reverence, especially his name, because it signifies his essence and being as a person. So do not use his name lightly and foolishly. The next one about keeping the Sabbath, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore... The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The holiness of God is being seen here. How is it seen? Because it how is it being how is it reflected of God's holiness? You see, every week the people are to work for six days only. And on the seventh day, they are to rest and keep their day separate from the remaining six days. Holy, different from the remaining six days. Why? One, because they are no longer slaves. This was to mark that they were not slaves, but a new identity as a treasured possession in God's sight. Not only that, by keeping the Sabbath holy, they are reflecting and following after God's footstep. Because God, in His creation account, created all things in six days, and on the seventh day, He rested. So for them to rest on the seventh day is to follow after their Lord, their God. And at the same time, that rest day was meant for them to focus on God, to worship, and to rest in Him. This is the holiness of God, separated for God. Next is about the honouring of parents. Honour your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honouring of the parents is a reflection of honouring God Himself. Parents play a very important role of representing God in the family to the Jews. Parents teach their children about God and they instruct them in His ways. And so parents are the first point of contact for children to learn about God. It is a first reference point. And so children are to return by honoring their parents who have taught them about who God is. And that honoring is uh, could extend even of looking and taking care of them when they are uh, aged and so imagine also that how God is also seen as a parent, as a father, because he calls his son Israel, uh, is called Israel his son. The next one is about the image of God. Um, you shall not murder. Only the Lord your God can take away life as he deems fit. And it would include even human agency. There is the sanctity of life because of all humans are created by Him, and all humans are made in the image of God. So only God can take away life. No man can act independently to take away without facing a penalty itself. The next one is about committing adultery. You shall not commit adultery. It is about the reflection of the faithfulness of God. It reflects God's desire of faithfulness and purity in the marriage. In fact, God created the marriage institution, and He Himself sees as the bridegroom of the marriage, and Israel, His bride in the covenant relationship. It is the faithfulness of God being seen here. You shall not steal reflects the integrity of God. God desires His people to be integrous. They are to be true and honest in all their dealings with people. They do not need to take from others because God gives all good things to his people. And just as an earthly father would provide for his children, give, God too will do that too. So so important. The next one, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It is a reflection of God's justice. He is a God of justice. They shall not bear false witness because God's decision and judgments are true, and the people ought to reflect that nature of God in not bearing and Corrupting justice itself, and the last one: you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is in your neighbor. That is your neighbor. The idea of coveting reflects the contentment of God. God will provide. God will give all that we need. And so, if we lack, we can ask for more from God. And we, there is no need for us to covet and to desire people or things that what God has blessed our neighbors. To do so is to show our dissatisfaction and our unhappiness of what God has provided. And so can you see that how each covenant, uh, each commandment is a reflection of who God is in His ways? And how they ought to relate to one another is a reflection of who He is? And that's how the people were meant to discover and learn more about God. But more than that, These commandments were not meant just to be kept strictly as just a set of rules. Because the motivation in keeping these commandments, in obeying them, is not so much because it is good for themselves, but rather because the motivation is because of their relationship with the Lord God. So if you were to read verse 1 and 2, and then you read the Ten Commandments, the motivation will be, you shall not you shall have no other gods before me. Why? Because I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You you shall remember the Sabbath day. Why? Because I am the Lord your God. The relationship with God is the motivation of why they should keep and hold on to these commandments themselves. Because without this relationship, it will just be empty, a set of rules only. Now, do you realize that Throughout here, these Ten Commandments, sin is not mentioned except in verse 5 whereby the reference of iniquity can last a generation or there is no mention of how to deal with the problem of sin. Well, this is because if you read verse 1 and 2, you will realize that God says He has delivered His people from the land of Egypt and from the house of slavery. And look at how the people responded in verse 18. When all the people saw that the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. Why did they respond in that way? Why didn't they respond in joy or in, in glory and awe and wonder? Wow, God is there is something that is causing that. You see, the people were delivered from the land of Egypt and from the house of slavery, but they were not delivered. the problem of sin the issue of sin still remains for them the exterior threat has been dealt with as promised but the interior the greater threat has not been and so the ten commandments were not so much not only just to reveal who god is but it is also to create that greater awareness of the sins of the people of their corruption of their transgression and wickedness, a greater awareness of it. As we come closer to know God in His holiness and greatness, there should be even a greater understanding and awareness of our sinful nature. As the bright light of God is shone upon us, the darkness of our life, the inadequacies inadequacies will be seen in, in, in it. And so thus, fear is the response of the people. Fear, because God is holy, and they are not. Fear because they may die in the presence of a holy God. And this awareness is meant to help them to know something about God. So the people responded in fear. And did you catch the way they responded? It is, it is described for us in three ways. One, they were afraid in verse 18. And they trembled. And the next part, they stood far off, which is repeated twice for us in verse 21 now all this showed that somehow this fear of god that they experienced in hearing and witnessing the lightning the flash, the thunders was driving them away they felt they were in danger they felt they needed to be far away from god because they proclaimed to moses you speak to us you we will listen but do not let god speak to us lest we die they understood it But this fear was driving them away. And so Moses had to quickly correct them and say that, no, no, this is not the fear that God wants you to have. There is something else because Moses says in verse 20, which is something important for us to reflect. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. Do not fear. For God has come to test you that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. Now, it seems quite an oxymoron thing, right? Do not fear, fear the God. What Moses is saying here is that don't let this fear drive you away from Him, that you want to stand afar off, that you want to almost don't want to be in relationship with the Lord, don't want to be in His presence, but rather let this experience of yours, seeing God and seeing Him speaking to you, help you to know who this God is so that you will learn how to live your life and not sin against Him. And so the a better rendering of the word test is actually experience. Um, Eugene Peterson in his Bible, the message actually I find uh, renders it actually uh, uh, better. Moses spoke to the people, don't be afraid, God has come to test you and instill a deep and reverent awe within you so that you won't sin. It is to instill a deep and reverent awe of God so that they will not sin. Not drive them away, but pull them towards God. And so this is something that they realize, that even though they are in a relationship with God, even though they can hear God speaking to them, there was something still in the way. That they could not have full access, unfiltered access to God. And that is the issue of sin. Thus, they were afraid. But later on, God would provide ways in the laws through the sacrificial system and the priestly system to deal with this problem, but yet not permanently. But yet, this was an indication that another deliverance was was in progress. Another deliverance was coming in the horizon. And this time, this deliverance was not going to be a deliverance over a physical enemy or a nation, but something even greater, far worse. This is something that we all recognize in all of ourselves. And when you read the Ten Commandments, do you catch that out of the ten, eight are given in a negative connotation, do not, no, no? Do you know why God revealed and spoke to His people in the way, do not, do not? Because the people were doing it. And you and i if we could we would do it too if we could we have the if we could we have the desire of wanting to worship other gods to make our own gods we have the desire of murdering people committing adultery stealing bearing false witness coveting others this is who we are and so god had to help the people see you don't do this because this is not who you are now that you are in my, now that you're in relationship with me And so God is trying to indicate but one day something will be done, a greater deliverance. And this is why you and I need to be delivered even today. Delivered from this heinous and insidious enemy called sin. One day God will deliver His people from a more powerful and greater enemy that is worse called sin. And this time He will do it differently. He will reveal himself again in the future, thousands of years later, and want to be with his people. But this time, he will not be delivery first, but rather being with his people first, revealing himself first. But not in awe and power and flashes of lightning and sounds and thunders and with a trumpet and with the trembling of a mountain and with a terrifying voice. No. He will be quiet. He will be unnoticed and in the form of of a baby you know babies are not threatening if you know one let me know babies are, they are inviting they are helpless vulnerable and can you imagine this is how God was going to reveal himself this time as a baby to invite us to be with him without fear to draw us to him and so when the perfect time comes, he will do this delivery from, delivering us from this most powerful enemy called sin that has enslaved us, them and us, for all cruelty and wickedness. And this time he's not going to do it by absolute power and might as he did with the Egyptian gods. No. This time he's going to do it through defeat and death but on the cross. And in so doing, he would destroy the most powerful enemy that we have, the power of sin over his people and deliver them permanently from this enemy. And then that day will come where sin will no longer be a barrier for his people to have relationship with him. And so today, would you respond to God not so much in fear only, but in reverence, in joy, in awe, that you can enter into a relationship with Jesus or continue in that relationship with Jesus. You don't have to prove anything. Jesus has proven everything for you. All you need to do is to follow Him. And the reason why you would want to keep His commandments and follow Him, not because you have to, because you want to, because you love Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for what you have said to us in um, the last half an hour about your word, of how you are a God who reaches out to us and you want to have a relationship with us, and how you would do anything and everything to be with us, even the sending of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, not in power or might, but as a baby, so that we would not feel so that we would feel welcome to be with Him. And so I pray for all my brothers and sisters here today that they will renew their desire of wanting to be in a relationship with Jesus and to know that they don't have to prove it, do anything because Christ has done everything for them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.